0: Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director.
1: Shalom again, friends. Thanks so much for joining Bobby and I at the Chosen People Radio Program. I hope that uh, you're getting to know us better and that you keep tuning in. We're in the midst of a series where we're looking at inflection points in the life of Jesus, the Messiah, that are best understood if you look at these events in a Jewish or through a Jewish lens, because Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, was Jewish, and he lived as a Jewish man during the Second Temple period, and so much of what he did was influenced, or at least should be understood in light of his Jewish identity and the way he viewed a Jewish life. And a lot of Jewish life was based on the Torah, the five books of Moses, the keeping of the law. And Jesus had to keep the law. He had no choice but to keep the law because he is God in the flesh and therefore will always do and be perfect. And in order to be a perfect sacrifice, he had to be perfect according to the standard of the law. And so therefore he always kept the law, always did what was right, and he is the only one in all humanity, who ever lived, no matter who it is, that always kept the law and kept it perfectly. And that's not something that human beings can do because we are sinful. In fact, sometimes the law does the opposite. Uh, the law, when we look at it, is like a mirror. And when we look at the law, we can see our sin because we can see the standards of God's holiness and so we understand that we are not holy and that we desperately need forgiveness of sin. We need Jesus to touch our lives and transform us from the inside out. Now we're looking through the life of Jesus and we have come to a rather dramatic point uh, because we've looked at his early years and birth and circumcision and dedication and we've also looked at his baptism. But now we're going to look at a rather interesting event that's so difficult to understand for most people. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about this event that will give you a unique contemporary understanding of it. But to now really help us work through the text in Matthew chapter 17, Uh, to better understand the transfiguration and the Jewishness of the Federation is my co-host, Bobby Walter, who leads the work of chosen people in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Bobby. Yes, thank you, Mitch.
2: Shalom to you and shalom to all of our listeners. Uh, Very grateful that you're joining us for this episode. And, uh, you know, Mitch, I, I really appreciate how you opened us up there, talking about our need for redemption, our need for salvation, our need for Jesus, our need for the kingdom, our need for the king. And yes. I think when we come to Matthew chapter 17 and the transfiguration, we get a, a nice glimpse of that. We get a glimpse of the king in all his glory and a glimpse of, of the kingdom and what it might be like. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I, I'm kind of envious uh, of Peter, James, and John that they, that they had that, uh,
1: that experience. Yes. <laughs> there are certain times when I really wish I was there. Yeah. And uh, this is definitely, definitely one of them. Yeah. So
2: we'll pick up here in Matthew chapter 16, just to kind of set the scene, right? So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and the disciples, they are at a a location in Israel in the north called Caesarea Philippi. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you can visit this site. It's actually, it's really fascinating because there's quite a bit going on at Caesarea Philippi. That's where Peter made his firm affirmation of the identity of Jesus being the the Messiah, the son of God. Uh, And and just historically, there was a lot happening in that area. Um, But then six days later, Okay, So at the end of Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus makes this statement to his disciples. He says, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And then right away, chapter 17, it says six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, Mitch, as you know, there's quite a bit of debate on what mountain this is referring to. Some suggest it was Mount Tabor. Uh, Others suggest that it was Mount Hermon. Uh, The scripture doesn't tell us flat out which mountain it was. I tend to to lean in the direction that it was Mount Hermon, mostly because it was in that same region. It's not far from Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is sort of like in the foothills of Mount Hermon. Uh, And Mount Hermon, again, a lot of biblical history about that location, about that place. Uh, and also extra-biblical history about that place and that location.
1: Well, I can describe Mount Hermon for you. Please do. In Psalm 133, David mentions the dew that would fall on Mount Hermon falls upon the dusty hills, foothills of Judea. And so the hills of Judea are almost never covered in snow, once in a blue moon. (laughs) Maybe a a yellow-red moon or pink moon, but it's just very, very rare But Mount Hermon oftentimes has snow uh, on it. That's why it's a great skiing spot. And so what David was saying is fellowship and unity is as if the dew on Mount Hermon fell on the dusty hills of Judea. It's a a great image. When you read that psalm, uh, it's life-giving water uh, comes to the dry and dusty hills. But this is the scene where Jesus decided to meet some very very special people
2: right right yeah and you know just another to add to the uniqueness of the geography there at the base of mount Hermon, again near Caesarea philippi there is a spring of natural water that mm. is really the source of the jordan river which flows down into the sea of galilee which is the primary source of water for uh all the people living in israel and from the sea of galilee flows the jordan river south to the dead sea which um will one day according to ezekiel uh be filled with living water and and sprout life ultimately when messiah returns
1: without desalination bobby
2: yeah yeah uh, Yeah. (laughs) miraculously so again okay so we're here we are matthew 17 right so jesus brings peter james and john up to this mountain uh it may have been mount Hermon. they may have just gone up to a ridge on the side of the mountain but something spectacular takes place So in in Matthew 17, verse 2, this is what it says. And he, talking about Jesus, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. So all of a sudden, as Peter, James, and John are there with Jesus on this mountain, Jesus changes. The the Greek word that's used there is where we get the word metamorphosis, uh, metamorphosize. His appearance began to shift and change. And the way Matthew describes it is that his face began to shine like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And another like cool thing to kind of glean from this from the Greek is it's not like the heavens opened and then this light came and began to shine down externally upon Jesus. What the Greek implies is that the light came from Jesus himself. He became the source of light uh, and he begins to glow before the disciples.
1: And this you know this kind of freaked them out so the glory of the Lord that was inside was able to shine to the outside exactly the light of the world lit up exactly
2: exactly <laughs> and then it gets even more amazing because when we read in verse 3 and behold Moses and Elijah appear to them
1: talking with him amazing amazing uh, you know, one of the common objections to some of this, that uh, this was sort of a foretaste of the coming kingdom, which I think it was, mm-hmm. one of the little objections is, well, this was this reincarnation? Uh, well, Moses, we believe, probably died, but uh, in the book of Jude, they're still looking for the body. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and so we know that he died before he went in the land. Elijah didn't die at all. Right. And so we're dealing with uh, one who had a mysterious death, the other who had no death, but was rather translated. Right. Uh, And um, so, you know, the question is, um, do Jewish people believe in the resurrection of the dead? I mean, do they believe in reincarnation? We just did a survey of uh, over a thousand Israelis, a phone survey, and had some amazing results. Uh, I can tell you that 78% believe in the resurrection of the dead. We're talking about even secular Israelis. I I was stunned by these numbers. And so this whole issue of life after death is something that mulls around the minds of average Jewish people. And I'm glad the majority believe in in the biblical doctrine, Mm -hmm. which is the resurrection from the dead. And so this transfiguration uh, came among... Jewish people who probably in the first century did believe in at least resurrection. Yes. So we don't know if Elijah and Moses came in an early resurrection demonstration of the kingdom or they just visited <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by, God, by yeah. God's grace uh, because. Uh, Elijah had never died and, and right. so on. And Jewish people do have a view of Abraham's bosom. There is a view of something that's almost like purgatory. Right. It's a, a pre-heavenly place where Jewish souls go before the ultimate uh, resurrection. Yeah. And so it's not outside the pale of Jewish thinking to believe that something happened here. And that really was, in one way or another, it was Elijah and it was Moses. Right. Right. And
2: again, just to kind of mine out some of the Jewishness of what's going on here, uh, a number of scholars like to say, well, well, why Moses and Elijah? Moses representing the Torah, the first five books, and then Elijah representing the prophets, and both of them being there and affirming as, as witnesses, eyewitnesses of the Messiah. And then the kingdom element to it. This is actually the first time in all of scripture that we ever see Moses in the promised land. So it's evidence that <laughs> yeah, that's that jesus is the king right it's a he taste fin- of the he kingdom. finally made it he made it yeah in the new <laughs> testament and then elijah of course the the prophecies concerning the prophet elijah showing up as the forerunner of the messiah and here again he's with the messiah so the disciples would have understood those, those
1: prophecies are in malachi three and four correct right? yeah. just want to remind everybody
2: yeah good yeah so the disciples would have understood that the, uh, the magnitude of what was happening here and the significance wow. that it was Moses and Elijah.
1: Wow. See, it's so important to understand the Old Testament. You can't understand the New without the Old. It's just impossible. And uh, I would encourage everyone who's listening to encourage their pastors. You know, tell them, I want a series on Genesis, you know. <laughs> I want a series on Isaiah. And uh, it's just so important to encourage these great people who lead us spiritually to pay attention to the Old Testament and let let them know that we have a hunger for understanding the world that Jesus lived in.
0: Ask any believer about the Messiah's return and they will tell you that it is going to happen sometime in the future. But ask those same believers about Israel and her role in the Messiah's return and their response becomes less clear. Biblical prophecy is vital to the believer's life and journey of faith. And knowing that the Messiah is returning and Israel has a future in the millennial kingdom is part of the reason we're offering Dr. Harold Sevener's book, Daniel, God's Man in Babylon, for free this month. Discover the timeless truths about God's plan for the land and people of Israel when you visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio or ask for the free book, Daniel, God's Man in Babylon by calling 888-293-7482. That number again is 888-293-7482. Here at Chosen People Ministries, we want to educate and equip believers all over the world so that we can hasten the Messiah's return and restore the kingdom. New York City, home to an estimated 1.6 million Jewish people. At Chosen People Ministries, we gather believers from all over the country every summer to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people all around the city. We engage in street outreach and follow-up. We also invite our volunteers to a special Jewish cultural day, Sabbath dinner celebration and more. If you have a heart for the Jewish people and love to talk about Jesus, visit ChosenPeople.com slash ShalomNewYork to find out more that's chosenpeople.com slash shalom new york we hope to see you this summer
2: well right now we're going to hear from Erez soref when Erez discovered the messiah he felt a sense of urgency to tell his friends and family about the best kept secret among the jewish people
1: jesus i know you're going to enjoy Erez's uh, testimony eras is a sabra Raised in Israel, leads One for Israel, a great ministry in Israel that we partner with often. And he has a wonderful, wonderful testimony.
3: I was born to a uh, Sephardic Jewish family. Uh, my family are Babylonian Jews on my mom's side and uh, Sephardic Jews are from Spain on my dad's side. My mom would try to drag my brothers and me to synagogue. Maybe it had something to do with our people thousands of years ago but god was very very far away in school we would study the old testament from first grade to 12th grade we study it as history of our people as wisdom literature um, something that one just needs to know being jewish but not as the word of god after my military service like a lot of israelis i decided to travel the world initially in southeast asia a lot of israelis are going there for the mysticism trail and the uh, drug trail I wanted to understand what they believe, and so I was exposed to some Hindu and some Buddhist literature. I got to, to realize that there is a spiritual reality, but that spiritual reality I saw was very, very scary. It was negative, it was dark, but it was very real. I ended up in Amsterdam, Holland, and I came there with merchandise to sell because I ran out of money. It was there that I've met a group of very enthusiastic young believers in Jesus. And I said, "Uh, well, I'm Jewish and we don't believe in Jesus. And they said, why? Jesus is Jewish. And I said, I'm not sure why, but I'm sure we don't believe in Jesus. As I got to know them, I noticed two things that really drew my attention and made me curious. One was what they called personal relationship with God. I couldn't understand it. I mean, I could see it, I could see how it works out in their lives. They would pray for one another, they would talk to God like one talks to a friend. Um, It's very foreign to a Jewish mindset. So this friend said, well, would you like to pray? I said, I don't know how to pray. You know, in my bar mitzvah, they gave me a page, I read it, Uh, give me a page, I'll, I'll read it. And the second thing that was even more shocking than that was that some of them were familiar with passages in the Hebrew scriptures that I wasn't very well familiar with. In school, we would study certain chapters and we would skip over a lot, of the, a lot of the other passages. But they referred me to passages that they called prophetic or messianic, that talk about the Messiah. And I was amazed. I said, well, how come you guys know the, the Hebrew scripture? I mean, this is ours. And they said, no, it's it's the whole Bible is one book. And I said, well, I, I have a Bible at home. And I've never seen the New Testament. I decided to check it out. So I read the Hebrew scriptures. And I saw that it was the same one as we had. I had one in Hebrew. And those passages were right in there. Telling when the Messiah will be born. What will he do? How are we going to recognize him? Reading this, I became very curious. And I said to myself, I have to read the New Testament. So I actually got one in Hebrew. And every morning, I would kind of look at it. And then look away go about doing my things finally i I said to myself well Eris, you're a hypocrite because you would read hindu writings and buddhist writings and whatever but when it comes to jesus you know you avoid and i started reading i was very surprised first of all it took place in israel in places i've been to many many times growing up in israel i've never ever heard anything about jesus of nazareth i've never met a christian person i've never seen a new testament I had absolutely no idea what it meant. It is particularly ridiculous because I had first degree family living uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And throughout my childhood, we would visit them several times a year, swim, fish, but I had no idea that Jesus or his disciples, you know, ever existed. We refer to this phenomenon as Jesus being the best kept secret among the Jewish people. As I read about all the religious institutions, they're still very much with us among the Jewish people to this day. But Yeshua was different. I felt very drawn to Him. He he did not try to do things to win men's favor. And so I started a process of comparing the prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures about the Messiah and how we're going to recognize Him and the fulfillment in Yeshua in the New Testament. And to my amazement, it matched. I became convinced, first in my head, then in my heart, that Yeshua is indeed the promised Messiah of our people. Shortly after that, I started noticing changes in myself. I had a great hunger to read the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament. So thinking that I am the first Jewish person Since the time of Paul the Apostle, whom I read about in the New Testament, I felt that God is calling me to go back to Israel and tell my family, tell my friends, tell my neighbors, my people, and everybody else that I meet about this great discovery that Yeshua is not just the Messiah of the Gentiles. He's also our Messiah. After becoming a follower of Yeshua, I became overwhelmed with a sense of joy on the one hand, but also urgency because I said, how come nobody, nobody told me before? I mean, my family, my neighbors, my friends, my people, nobody knows, nobody tells us. And I felt very strongly that I need to go and tell my people. I decided to surprise my family. My dad was there and I told them that I believe in Yeshua, the Messiah. The consensus was that in some way or fashion, I've lost my mind. My dad's family, they have uh, arranged for me a meeting with a chief psychiatrist in our city. And he actually formally declared me to be sane. I should have asked for that in writing. My mom's family arranged for me a meeting with a rabbi. And the rabbi promised my mom that he would prove to me that Yeshua is not the Messiah. The day before our meeting, the rabbi called my mom and he canceled the meeting. To my great joy, I discovered there were other believers. I discovered there was a congregation of Jewish believers and I started going there. And so I told them, I want to study the Word of God. Is there any Bible school or Bible college or something like that I can go and invest some time and just study the Bible? And they said, well, no, there's nothing. And I completed my doctoral studies in the United States. After that, with my wife and young children, we came back to Israel. I knew that God has called me to serve Him, but I didn't know exactly where. I remember very vividly how it felt coming to know Yeshua and having a deep desire to study the Scriptures and not knowing how to do it. And I felt very strongly that I need to go and provide this opportunity for Israeli believers, both Jewish and Arab, to study the Word of God in Hebrew, right where it happened. And to that, I dedicate my life. Shalom, friends. This is
1: Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second generation young adults. And we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll wanna be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel.
0: To learn more about this new, exciting project, visit ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today.
2: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then please let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. We've got a variety of resources available and we even have a free gift available for
1: you just for reaching out. We'd love to thank you by sending you a book by Harold Sevner, a former president of Chosen People Ministries about the book of Daniel, which will give you incredible insight to the times that are unfolding at this very moment, Daniel couldn't be more relevant than today. And so, God's man in Babylon, the story of Daniel, will be sent to you free when you reach out to say shalom or hello to your friends at Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or you can request your copy when you call us at 888-293-7482.
2: And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction.
1: Yveracha Adonai, the Yishmarecha. Yair er Adonai, Ponova Lecha, the
2: Yhunecha. Yisa
1: Adonai, Ponova Lecha. The Yasame Lecha